The Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast is now proud to be part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. To enjoy more great podcasts like this one, head along to lowtreestudios.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Everybody, and welcome to episode 81 of the Weird, Wacky, and Wonderful Stories podcast. I'll be the sane one here and say hi, everyone. No, you'll be the boring one. Come on, sing a song. Hey, everybody. You think I'm boring? I didn't say that. Mm. Well, I, I kind of did, but I didn't mean that. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. We have an interesting show for you guys today. Oh, yes, we do. What the hell did you drink today or you smoke what? or whatever? Do you, do you know what? I had my weekend staple breakfast today, which was four boiled eggs with dippy soldiers. That's lovely. Do you call them dippy soldiers in America? We don't call them anything because, no. Really? So really? did you ever have then, before you knew me, did you ever have boiled eggs, soft boiled, so that you could get a nice... No, nice I never little did. sort of like thin bit of toast no. and dip it in the yolk and eat it. We no, call it. I, I know what you call it. I know I've seen you eat it, yeah. but it's not something that I would always want makes to me eat. feel good. And it isn't something that anybody in my family ever ate. So I think it's gross. Really? I okay. think an egg should be cooked all the way. It was cooked all the way. It's just a runny yolk. Everyone has runny yolk. Well, then what do you do with all the white in the middle? Eat it. That's gross. <laughs> the, 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 Does it come out like a flat fried egg? The white, the white. bit is cooked. Mm-hmm. It's solid, like it would be if you had a normal. You know when you have your egg fried and then you flip it, and yeah. the yolk is still soft. Because I don't mind having my yellow nice and soft and runny. No, it's but, not called a yellow. But it's called hold a on, yolk. hold on. But if there's any white that's not all the way done, it looks like freaking snot. So. Oh. No. Well, my white is cooked, and my <laughs> and my and my yellow is warm and runny. You and just caught it yellow. Oh no! <laughs> my yolk is yellow and runny and warm, and then you get the nice crunchy bit of toast with real butter on, and you dip it in there, and then. Uh, so anyway, I had that for breakfast this morning. So I'm and feeling good. It's four, a four four eggs with three slices of toast. And it's a cardiac-inducing breakfast Why? with all the butter and all the egg. Ah, okay. Well, but then, but then during the day, I got loads of energy, so I work it all off again. So it's all good. It works itself out. You don't work it off when you get in bed at night. That's not very nice, is it? I don't have to do all the work. You're there. <laughs> God, jeez. <laughs> If I have a dog and park yourself, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, for all you know, I do a lot of work at night. Yeah, but I'm asleep. <laughs> all right, let's get on with this. Before it... I, I don't. I'm too busy playing on my iPad. Exactly. So. Thank you very much. I'm busy snoring. You're busy doing your iPad. Yeah. No, I don't do my iPad. Well, playing with your iPad. I don't. <laughs> let's get on with the show. 
Okay. Today we have an interview with a chap who got in touch with us quite a while ago and told us about a house that he grew up in in South Wales, which had some unexpected and unwelcome visitors. So that is going to be really interesting. If you're interested in hauntings, you definitely want to stay tuned for that. Later on, we're going to have Richard Lenny and Ruth Roper Wild with their monthly reports on the UFO happenings and the paranormal. But right now, let's kick it off with our guest. He's from Wales, but he's living in Dorset at the moment in the UK. Please welcome to the show, Andrew Dexter. Hey, Andrew. Hello. How Hi, are you? Hi, Andrew. Yeah, we're really Hello, good. Bella. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're interested to hear about your story because you actually grew up in a house in Bargoid. And for yeah. our listeners who maybe don't know the area, can you explain where Bargoid is and maybe a rough estimation of the size or whatever? Absolutely. I mean... Well, Bargoid is about, which used to be a former mining town in the south of Wales Valleys. It's 17.3 miles from Cardiff, and it's eight miles north of Caerphilly. And it used to be part of the Romney Valley, but now it's part of the Caerphilly County Borough now. Mm. Yeah, so it used to be a market town that grew substantially since the opening of the pit in 1897. And it's, it's populated about, about 30,000 people. Right. Yeah, it's it's a it's not a bad little town. It used to be well known. It's not because obviously the the film Stella there about five years ago. Oh right, okay. Yeah, and also there was an episode of Doctor Who that was filmed there called The Green Death about one of the maggots. Yes, yes, lovely. Yeah, so that that was in <laughs> filmed in the village of Derry, uh, just two miles north of Barragoid. So uh, obviously that was filmed. Obviously the pit's gone now, and then since then there's been a decline in the town, which is sad. But so obviously people have moved out to gain employment whatever so yeah but, it's, it's a very close-knit community Bargoid I know that it, I, it is, I've, yeah. I spent a bit of time in Bargoid myself you know over the years just just popping in and out but every time I've been there there is really a, a, a big sort of community it is, feeling yeah, there so but I quite like it obviously I have very nostalgic memories of it and uh, yeah as you were saying I grew up in a large probably called Gladstone Villa yes with, yes. with my family Yeah, so Uh, this is what we wanted to discuss, actually, today, because obviously, as you said, you lived in there with your family. Who was in there with you at the time when all of this was going on? We're going to be talking about what's going on a little bit later, but who was in the house at the time? Well, first first of all, there were five of us. There was my maternal grandparents, William George Higgins, his wife, Rita. She was a housewife. She was a... But my grandfather was... um, I used to work in Bargod Colliery. And there's obviously my, my, my parents, and Caroline and Douglas Dexter, but they separated. It had nothing to do with the activity that was going on. It was just a breakdown of the marriage. So I was born in 69, and that's basically how it all started. Right, okay. And what's the history of the building itself? Is it built on any sort of ground that, that might be, you know, sort you of... you should ask that, because I was talking to somebody who says she claims to be some sort of medium. Now, I, I've only gone back as far as the 1900s, because I, I, obviously I wanted to find out why this was happening, because obviously I didn't know, and I found out a lot, quite a number of things indeed. And I found out that it goes back to 1900. It was named after the former Prime Minister, William Gladstone. Yeah. But obviously, there was, there was quite a number of families that lived in there. In, in 1924, there was, the Kimiat family lived there. And sadly, a little baby died. And I found that out in Bargain Library. My family claimed to have heard that baby cry. And I say claim because obviously a lot of things have gone on with, without my witnessing it, you know. But uh, I did see poltergeist activity there, minor poltergeist activity. 
when I say minor, it wasn't going on 24-7. We did live relatively normal lives. Mother and father working. There was no one sort of doing Ouija boards or anything like that. There was no occult activity or... The, the family didn't wasn't doing that. No, but my father, as you say, was working at uh, a bakehouse there. That's how they met in, in 1965. Yeah, they got married in 69 and I was born and that's where it all started, you know. Who do you think was the first person to sort of notice that there was something not quite right about the house? They experienced it all together. They, they actually heard something that what, you know, it started off in the attic and they thought, somebody, naturally they thought that somebody was breaking in. And my mother said, oh, it started off in the attic and it just mainly eventually occupied itself in the main bedroom. Oh, right. I, incidentally, my grandparents' room. <laughs> Did they continue to stay in that room? No, well, my grandfather Bill did, but um, my, my grandmother, my mother and myself, we stepped on sofas on on all night with the lights on all night. Yeah. Which you don't believe blame us, do Well, no, not at all. We had a situation in our house not so long ago where we heard something going down the stairs and Bella was absolutely freaking, weren't you? Yeah. And and, <laughs> and we mentioned this on the show recently, but we also, <laughs> we were watching something to do with the Amateurville house. We were both laying in bed watching it and as we were watching, it wasn't the horror story. It was they, they were actually talking to a guy who who, 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 who lived, lived in it. the house. Yeah, as we were watching it, all of a sudden above us, we've got like this this metal piece of art on the wall and something smashed up against that really hard. And yeah, I mean, there was just no explanation to it. And that that would have freaked me out. That yeah. happened about a month ago and Bella just, yeah. Yeah, I was not impressed. No, no not at all. So tell us about the things that were going on in your house then. Well, obviously, I was too young to remember when it all first started, but I'm only going by a lot of it, what was was told to me at the time. There was an incident with when I was a baby. I was told that I had to be moved out of there because the activity was so bad. And the main bedroom was the, was the actual focus of it. It very rarely happened downstairs. On one occasion, uh, my mother said that my pillow was ripped right in half. Oh, wow. I mean, that takes some force. I don't think I could rip a pillow in half or... Oh, well, I, with respect, I remember, I've only got her word for it. I, I obviously, but when I was getting older, I experienced it for myself, you know. And wow. what I heard, literally footsteps coming in the bedroom, that would be on a daily basis, whereas the poltergeist activity was extremely rare. And also even the sightings. I mean, in all the years I was there, I never saw it, you know. But my mother did. Like I say, I say, Clem, I didn't see this personally myself. I neither did my grandfather or my grandmother. It was one evening we was watching television and she just happened to look towards her left, towards where her mother was, my grandmother was. She was reading a book and she saw the full solid figure of a monk, typical brown habit and everything, and with the hood over the head so she didn't see the face. And she looked away again and looked again and it, it was nothing there. And she told her mother, I just saw a monk. Said, I'm glad you didn't tell me that, I would have wet myself. <laughs> <laughs> was, was there any kind of monastery or anything nearby or anything that would make a think monk? From what I've been told, it's word in mouth. But there's a, a property directly opposite called the Rafa Club. Yes. Yes, which dates back right to the 16th century uh, with possible links to Clan Kayakvau and Gestliger, a sympathetic dwelling in Gestliger. But it's just a legend of a tunnel that is just, but apparently there's a priest hiding there. And I've been told a number of occasions that also there was a, a monastery nearby as well. You know, I can only explain what I personally experienced, not from what other people said, but I, I do believe it because of, of the nature of what, what, what went on there. Yes. Yeah, the only time I want to see a monk is if I'm in a monastery and that's never oh. happened. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I, I never saw it. I'm glad I didn't because I'm not sure how I would have reacted. It's interesting that obviously you say that you know about this monastery now, etc. Yeah. But 
presumably it, back when this was happening, it wasn't known. You found this out since because you've done the research, I, I, I did, assume. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah so, so there wasn't wouldn't have necessarily have been familiar with it. Maybe? There wasn't anything to sort of put that into their head. I would expect in the area that you're talking about in Bargoid to maybe see an old miner or something like that. But finished because I mean apparently he's been detected as well because my mother did see an elderly man which. To even now does not make any sense to me because I, I try very hard. Did that really happen? I know that it did, but I try to rationalize it. Like I can't grasp. I mean, there were some rational things that can be explained, you know, just to keep my sanity. But <laughs> yeah. Were, yeah, exactly. Because all the things that went on there, if, if it was just anything to do with mental health, then surely they would have been carrying on if we moved away. Glad you said that because I was yeah. going to ask you that, but I wanted to try and word it and phrase it in a way as not to cause any offense or whatever. But oh, I was, no, no, I was no. going to ask you because you <laughs> said that your mother was the only one who actually saw the entity, albeit that. We're going to talk later on about other incidences that happened where other members of the family were involved. But if she was the only one who actually saw the entity, I was going to ask you what her sort of her mental state was. We've never been diagnosed with any mental illnesses. We've never taken any illegal substances, so like cannabis or any hallucinatory drugs. Or those I would have regarded it as possibly mental health issues or drug-induced things, but none of us have. Well, there are people that are just more sensitive to things. No, absolutely. Possibly. You know. It, it, yeah. it may be a small thing that she might be some sort of intuitive. Right? Yeah. But since we left that property, we have had, well, even now, I'm glad to say it's been very, very quiet. We don't experience anything like that at all now. And it's been nearly 40, 50 years since we, well, we started 50 years ago and we left in 78. So that's just over 40 years ago, wasn't it? So there was an incident that happened involving an ironing board. I thought this was fascinating. Tell us about that incident. Yes. Well, again, I didn't personally witness this, but it's just when my my father used to work night shift at the bakehouse in Baldwin Street, and my mother went to get him up for work, and she not only did see the the ironing board placed all over his body, she saw his slippers lipped, uh, <laughs> thrown out of the bedroom as well, as if he wasn't... If there was an entity in there and he wasn't welcome in there. Anyway, my, my, my mother woke him up and, of course, he was astonished to see the situation he was in and he used unrepeatable language, which I wouldn't say here. I <laughs> said <laughs> <laughs> to say, what the? An exclamation is great, uh, of surprise. But I, initially, I, I blamed my family or my grandfather, primarily, of doing some of it. But uh, as time went on, he could see that he was not responsible for this. Your mother went to get your father up. He's laying in bed, he's asleep, and the ironing board is laying on his body. That's right, yeah, literally. What would drive an entity to do that, I wonder? Maybe they wanted to iron. Well, yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, and if you're looking from a human spot viewers, that was a tactful hint to say, well, do some mining for us. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they, obviously, there's some sort of like, I don't know, maternal or, or female. Or childlike. Or ch- you know, yeah. a child. I can remember as a kid myself, one of the things that we loved to do was build these little forts, you know, these little dens, you know, where you would, you'd put something over the top. And I wonder, you mentioned that, that, you know, you found out afterwards there was a child that sadly lost its life in that yeah. property. So, yeah, I wonder whether it was a child trying to play. A lot of the times when you hear about a haunting, you could think, okay, something was thrown across the room because they wanted to frighten people or they wanted to try and strike people with whatever it was they were throwing. But I've never heard of an ironing board being placed on top of someone. And that's one of the things that really drew me to this story. Yeah, because you know why? Because if you die and you're a ghost, you do that kind of stuff. That's why it drew me to it. Yeah, you. 
That's not very nice, is it? It's true, though. Somebody will wake up and have, like, shaving cream all over their face, but nobody is there. Well, I've done that to you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see what you mean, because I've never before or ever since heard of anything like that happening, of an ironing board being placed on somebody, you know? It's no. bizarre. <laughs> That's quite unique, isn't it? It is. And like I said, that's one of the things that drew me to this story because you hear accounts of hauntings over and over again and it's always something was thrown, you know, something was moved, someone heard a ghostly entity or, or footsteps on the floorboards or whatever. But it's the first time I've heard this and I think it makes it all the more credible of a story because it's something that is unexpected, if you like. I can clearly remember the footsteps on a daily basis. Uh, it was, sometimes it happened in the day, but mainly in the evening. Well, I was going to ask you, what sort of things, if at all, happened during the day then? Well, there was that particular site that my mother said I can distinctively clearly remember it was during the day. We were all in the living room, the main, the main living room, and my mother, I can still quite clearly remember my mother going towards the wall where the settee was to get something. And she looked again to her left. And I could see the actual expression on her face of somebody she saw but not recognized. And I didn't see this because obviously the door was wide open, so it obscured the hall. But she later described it as an elderly face looking into the bedroom, uh, looking into the, the living room rather, from where the bedrooms were in the hallway. And she described it as wavy hair. And I tried, I did try to find that during my research because obviously I knew the people that lived there before us. I went to, to school with one of their sons, Edgar Mills, because he, again, lived there before us. And he was the one who, who started the rumor of, of Gladstone Villa and the Rath Club being haunted and, and all the tunnels that may be lead, leading to Klein Kaikvau and Gessley Gare. So have you ever found anything about those tunnels? I never saw it. I did. I can remember going into, on my 40th birthday, I had a couple of pints there and the staff told me they were experiencing. And then it was when I was talking, because my friend and I, we, we sort of like went from the Park Hotel over to the Rafa Club and I was talking to a member of staff. I said, what's this? It's East Hyde and tunnels. Oh, he said, oh, it's, uh, there's tunnels going to get it. And that's all I had. And he was a professional teacher as well. And so he's, he, he was of some of respectable nature, you know. And then the staff told me that, oh, they've heard footsteps, these, and they, some of them was pushed, but they had the, the, the priest the priest hole is actually sealed up so he wouldn't take me down there. It's in the cellar. It's actually in the cellar. I wonder if there that. would be those showing on town plans or anything. Ah, I'm not quite sure, to be honest. I'm sure they would have to map them because of things like water and well, electricity. Well, if they even yeah, I mean, and... water. But obviously that, that's, a, 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 that's a listed building, so they should have some, I imagine they have something sort of there. Hmm. Because the original beams date back to 1540-something. Oh, so there could have been anything there, really. Yeah. Well, I, I, obviously, it makes a lot of sense. There was the religious persecution of, of that time in the 16th century, and those uh, those priests had to be from the uh, Romans, whatever, because there's a Roman fort in Gessica as well, isn't there? Right, I got you. So it would have been an escape route, potentially, then. Yes, so in that exactly, case, yeah. it would have been very heightened in terms of, yes, you know, the emotions yeah. would, would have been high as they yes, were running through those anything. tunnels, etc. Yeah, and if you follow things like stone tape theory, then certainly that would follow that something with such high emotional energy attached to it may well then yes. then show us things later on and of course Remnants and, and, yeah. and uh, residual energy and everything so playing it back so was there ever anybody that came to visit or anything that ever saw anything bargoid police came i remember them coming there and they so obviously they were a bit suspicious because there was no there was no crime there being committed. I can remember clearly remember them going up into the stairs and being reluctant of going into the attic. You know, I can remember they were quite young men, 
And but they, they they were of the of the persuasion of saying, "Oh, well, do you think it's Douglas Dexter, you know, my father, sort of like playing pranks on the Bakers?" There was always that accusation with each other. Do you know what I mean? And also, I was told there was a, a spirit medium, John Matthews, that came there. He before he he asked the family questions, and then he he sort of challenged the spirit by knocking on the ceiling, and sure enough, the uh, the spirit entity. Knocked back at him, and at some point he went into a trance to try and make contact with, with it, but he failed to get a name. But what he did say was, and he blatantly stated the obvious that there was an entity there, but it was <laughs> an earthbound, uh, and it was an earthbound spirit, basically an unfinished business. Those very words he said, and we also had a priest or, or a vicar there rather, and he blessed the house. And after a few short, after a few prayers, he duly left, and there was a. After a few, after that, it was a few short months. It was it was very quiet, no incidents. But it did come back with a vengeance. Ah, so what yeah. happened then? Well, it's just basically the same thing. We had footsteps every night. We had the editorial cables being pulled by unseen forces. I did remember hearing like Gregorian chant in the bathroom. What, what sounded like it, but obviously that's how I interpreted it. Because it went, oh, oh, I can't quite do it, but I I, remember, I clearly remember it. Did anybody ever get hurt? No, I'm glad to say that we didn't. No, that's, that's the thing. We came to no serious harm. But obviously, it did affect us. It did leave an indelible mark on us. Oh, yeah, no me, doubt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It left an indelible mark on me. It, it left me with an obsession with the paranormal, and it made my mother a nervous wreck. She's still very timid now. She's, she's yeah. She's still she's seventy years old and she's still quite timid. The slightest bang, if the mobile phone goes off, she jumps. You know, so it has affected us. Sorry to move you back a minute. Why were the police called on that occasion, and what was it that led to that? There was a high level of activity, and there was furniture turned over, and not only us, there were the neighbours think, thinking there was a, a break here because there was furniture there was typical poltergeist activity the furniture was turned over when they came back from a day out somewhere um, but there was no forced entries and nothing was stolen but the police were called anyway I understand the question I couldn't understand why it was something like that. We said, this is not a job for this, it's for the priests. No, no, it's a valid point. We discussed this right on our start of our journey doing podcasting when we hadn't really spoken to anybody who'd been experiencing any experiences, any scientists, you know, any of the authors that we've spoken to. It was just us trying to find out bits about you know, the paranormal and, you know, we've been on this journey of, of discovery, if you like. And we remember, I, I distinctly remember us having a conversation, Bella, where we said that if you did have a haunting, who would you call? Yeah, what's, exactly. What's the guarantee <laughs> that the spirit that you're dealing with is going to be affected by, you know, a Christian vicar? What if the spirit was of another denomination? The army wouldn't be interested. The police wouldn't necessarily be interested. I would be calling a hotel to get me out of house, and then the next day I'd be calling a real estate agent. <laughs> That's who I would be you know calling. What I mean, though, you? There, <laughs> there is no one to call. No, know? no, they, there isn't. Uh, the Ghostbusters had that brilliant line, didn't they? Who are you going to call? And and really, <laughs> and really, who are you going to call? So what it is, you possibly you have to sort of like look at every aspect of what it is before you can overlook. Before, you, if you not not to look, overlook anything before you come to the conclusion it's paranormal. So at least once or twice we did think it's a break-in. Right. We, you've got to think rationally, but nothing was missing, and nothing was stolen because uh, other people were, were witnessing as well. It wasn't just a family; there were family, friends, neighbours, people across the street witnessed it, things smashed, and everything. 
Give us an average day. You know, you're a school child. You're, you're maybe 10 years old. Okay. I lived there from say, the age of a baby to the age of eight. So I was literally a, a child, a young child, innocent child, not really understand what was going on. There would be times when it would be hours and hours and hours and it would be completely silent, nothing. We'd be watching, we'd, we'd, a normal family, we'd have our meal, I'll come home from school, we'd chat, what have we done today, or oh, I did this. We'd watch television and all of a sudden, boom, it would start and <laughs> my grandmother would say, oh look out, Johnny started. And then we'd look at each other and say, is that you? Is that you doing this? And then we'd turn the television down, the volume down to hear it more clearly and then we'd know for certain it was something we had going on. We had the footsteps directly above us, going slowly, and we we knew then. But that's that's basically, on a rare occasion, there was the podcast activity. Um, my grandfather claimed to have had a milk bottle throwing at him. I can distinctly remember now. I didn't witness it myself, but he came into the room with a broken bottle in his hand and just had it thrown at me. He said the activity was mainly going on in the in the main bedroom for some reason, and only my grandfather would sleep in there. Well, that was interesting, actually, because obviously you said earlier that a number of you actually moved downstairs to sleep, but Grandfather Bill, he was actually at one point paralysed by the spirit. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what he, that's what he told us. He tried to shout out for help, and then he couldn't shout out for help. But, I mean, my only personal rational explanation for that is it may have been sleep paralysis. I, I don't know. But he then said there was something in it with him. I, I don't know if he saw it. He, he did say he saw something, but he heard the, the floorboards creaking and everything. So, but I can only assume that it's possibly sleep paralysis. That's, that's my only rational explanation for that. Yeah, well, I've had sleep paralysis, so I can yeah. I can attest to the feelings that you get with that, and I've had it about three times now. It's scary, isn't it? Yeah, have you had it yourself? Not quite as scary as that. I, obviously, I've woken up and I can't move, and I oh my god, I, I can't move. I've, I very rarely get it though. It's extremely rare. Yeah, it's only happened three times to me, but the last time it happened, I did have a feeling that there was someone there. Prior to that, I just like yourself, I had just the feeling of not being able to move. Yeah, so. yeah, well, I, I, I've had that, like I said, but I've never felt the sensation of somebody being there with me, though. Well, it, obviously, it used to be called the old hag syndrome, didn't it? Because yeah. the idea was that you would see this entity crawling up the bed and then it would sit on your chest. So I suppose it could have been a sleep paralysis situation, but then again, with all of the other evidence that you had of things going on in the house, definitely could have been the spirit. You mentioned that your mother would call out the spirit was, was John or Johnny? It was my grandmother. Grandmother, actually, sorry. That, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. She gave it a nickname. She called it Johnny because we had it for so long. Yeah. She gave it a nickname. She called him Johnny. And my grandfather would try and get a reaction by shouting out that name, but he, nothing would happen. So that was a pointless task, really. So <laughs> It's worth trying, though. <laughs> Definitely yeah, well, worth yeah trying. exactly. But they, they, they didn't do anything to order. You'd try and provoke a reaction and nothing would go on. Yeah. But, I mean, our experiences wasn't quite like what you saw or was even at least as dramatic as what you'd see in films, you know? That sort of base like Amityville or Enfield Poltergeist. And there was nothing quite like that. Were but, you uh, afraid to be there yourself? Like I said earlier, sometimes, yes. But more than anything, we were fascinated. Because, like I said... We lived relatively normal lives, you know. It wasn't going, the acti- activity wasn't 24-7. So we, we occasionally scared. There was a time where I was literally made me jump. Cause we had a family friend, Fred Davis. I can mention him because he's not, sadly no longer with us. He was a, a work friend of my grandfather. They worked together at Bargoy Colliery and he would come regularly. And he would sit by the open fire by his favorite place. He would smoke his homemade cigarettes and wear a flat cap and talk with that cigarette in his mouth. You can imagine, can you? Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was all quiet. It was, this, was, this was during the day as well. That must have been a weekend, a Saturday or a Sunday. And I was playing with a sideboard. And all of a sudden, we literally heard one bang. 
It was so loud that Fred ducked his head. And he later told us, oh, I ducked his head because I thought it was so loud. It was coming through. When it, when it was all quiet, it was all brave enough to go up there. I can guarantee my grandfather was always first to go when I was last, right? <laughs> Couldn't find anything to account for that loud noise. So that's unexplained. So there was a lot of things that, oh, no, what was that? left us no choice that it was paranormal. Because I even had my own personal experience in there as well, in that bedroom. What happened to you? Like I say, it, it was all very, it just happened so suddenly, you know, it can be very quiet. And I was alone uh, in that main bedroom. I made sure that the light was on. And I was laying on the double bed on my grandparents' bed, facing, on my left, facing the window that looked into Cardiff Road and Bargo Town Centre. It was quiet. And all of a sudden I heard a pounce on the bed, and that's quite true. And obviously, being a child at the time, I was too scared, naturally too scared to look. And, but when I eventually did, there was nothing there. So I went downstairs to, to tell my grandparents and my mother. We went back upstairs, and we saw distinct paw marks, literally paw marks, quite large, on the bed. I kid you not. Wow. And you didn't have any pets or anything? We didn't have any dogs, no, nothing, nothing. Wow. So my only explanation is... It's my grandfather later told us that he did have a black Labrador and they called him Tovey, T-O-V-Y, Tovey. Who had? Your grandfather had? My grandfather, Bill, had a dog called Tovey that died before I was born. Oh, right. A lot of it seemed to be mostly around your grandfather, didn't it? No, I, I, I don't think any of us was, was the focus of the attention. I think possibly the house was because of the history of the house or perhaps what... Because oh, maybe what if something tragic happened there? That a baby definitely died there. I could I found out that uh, the baby's name was Elvin Kimiat, and he's buried in Bedwellty. Uh He was only four months old, and my grandparents, oh, sorry, my, my grandfather and my mother, came to hear that baby crying in the bedroom. Now I didn't take any notice of what they said because I I never heard that. I never actually heard that. So, but since I made that discovery, it makes sense to me. So yeah, they obviously did hear it. So I, I take what they say is quite literal. You didn't think it was malicious, though? It was just trying to Well, I suppose coexist. having the glass thrown at his grandfather, having the glass or the bottle thrown at him and well, the yeah, iron board. Well, yeah, I guess it's true. Like yeah. I say, I did, I did feel it wasn't, didn't cause any serious, I mean serious harm to us. But like I said, that incident with the glass bottle was thrown towards him, not at him. Because, I mean, with podcast activity, they don't directly target you, do they? I don't think. I'm not, I mean, I was there for nine years and I, that still doesn't make me an expert. So, I mean, what's, what possible explanation has kept gets got? Well, I don't know. The thing is, is that even if it wasn't being physically malicious, if there was an entity that was permanently in the house, albeit that it wasn't permanently causing issues, but if it was in the house, you know, most of the time, surely it would have seen the upset, as you said, that it was causing your mother. But then again, you know, are we talking about something here that has a consciousness and is aware a view yeah, the ironing yeah. board theoretically yeah. could have been being put on a table that used to be in that spot where your grandfather was now lying or sorry your father was now lying the dog or cat or whatever it was could have just been replaying something where it jumped onto something or you know something being thrown could have been replaying something that was thrown at something exactly. else or, or to a bin for all we know there you have the there you have the stone tape theory which is another yeah exactly yeah uh the fabric of the house which is in obviously like like like, or like a recording yeah there was a, you know, obviously record things and plays back quite literally over and over. So when you guys moved out of there, did you stay in the town? 
We stayed in, in Bargoid, yes. First moved out in, in the 1990s when I met my family and we had our children and stuff. And then we moved to Dorset then in 2015. But my, my mother still lives there. What I wanted to know is, do you know who moved in to that house after you? Yes, uh, yes, I do. There was a, because obviously when we moved, we moved in the summer of 1978. And when two local businessmen bought the property, and I could tell you the names if you want me to. It was John and Aldo Rissi. They, they had the Rissi's Cafe in Bargoid. Right. Do you know um, Rissi's Cafe? I, they I don't know, no. And then they moved after this. But they made no claim. And then eventually after that, John Butler from London had it. And then when the McBurneys took it over, it became a hotel, Reds Park Hotel, and I had my 40th birthday there in 2009. And they told me of their own personal experience that they had, particularly in room nine upstairs. So they had, so up. there was evidence that. Yes, and, yes. And yeah. what was room nine when you were living there? Was that like your father's room or? It was, it was my grandparents' room. Ah, the, right, okay. The, the master bedroom, yeah. So that's same That's the spot. same room, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly. interesting that they should yeah. they should corroborate essentially by yeah. choosing exactly yeah. the same, same room because on the landing overlooking if if you look at uh, Cardiff Road on say Google Maps it's literally on the left hand side in the top window because the, the main activity took place there because right. other people said people have stayed there as well have claimed they've heard things and other people said oh we stayed there and we've not heard anything. So it depends how sensitive you are or where it's happening. Because I went back there with my mother, and I, I didn't hear anything back there. When I went back there, I didn't hear anything. So I can, I can understand where they're coming from. And you said that nobody in your family, since you guys left there, that you know of, nobody in your family had any further sort of paranormal experiences. It's funny you should ask, because as soon as we moved out, we moved, out, we moved to a council, property, a council estate. Yeah. To Masonettes, they were three-story properties. And as soon as we moved there, it didn't happen immediately straight away. But we had a little Jack Russell dog as, as a pet. That was the first dog that I had in my lifetime. And uh, they took the dog out for a walk. My mother and my grand, and it was just my grandfather and myself. And we heard scratching on the on the bathroom door. We we heard that quite clearly, literally. It was only for, for a few seconds or more. And then it stopped, and then my grandfather, I made sure my grandfather opened it, or not me. <laughs> and uh, they opened the door, he opened the door, and there was nothing there, but we saw scratch marks on there. And my grand, because I thought, I got, I got confused, it was one of confusion, you see, my reaction was, because I thought, they took the dog out, haven't they? I'm sure they have, but because, and then they told us, but uh, there was no incidents after that. Right. Mm, so maybe it was just something that did follow you, but then thought, uh, yes, I'm not staying I, here, I'm going back to where... It, it, it followed us, yes. Yeah, and then possibly went back. Yeah, I thought, I don't yeah. like it here, I'm going yeah. home. <laughs> yeah, wow. I don't like dogs. <laughs> well, I tell you what, there's been a few instances where I've seen your story now. As I know there's a YouTube video of it. I know yes, that right. you've spoken to a close friend of ours, Ruth Roper Wild, author. Yes, And yes. your account appears in one of her books. It does, yep. Yeah, I've obviously I've I've heard her an interview as well on, on on here, which I'm which is delightful. I absolutely delighted to be here. Well, she's gonna be coming right after you oh. now, so that's oh, that's okay. absolutely brilliant. But but I believe your account is in her My Haunted Times book, is that right? 
It is, yeah. I, I had that. Yes, I've got a copy of that, which I had for Christmas. <laughs> That's uh, one of my Christmas boxes. Excellent. <laughs> well, <laughs> she'll be pleased to know that, definitely. Yeah, she actually knows. Uh, I, I, I talk to her on Facebook occasionally. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay, brilliant. Excellent. So how, yeah. did, how did you meet Ruth? I haven't physically met her, but obviously I, I can't remember... I must have sort of seen her somewhere, and, and I've told her about my experience, and right. wanted her to use permission, and I give her that permission. Uh, but the reason why I I made it public now, I, even though I'm I know I'm setting myself up for all sorts of ridicule and mockery, but those who mock are, are not the ones that experience that. They read it, and the, 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 my primary reason is is to challenge anyone, any skeptic, any firm non-believer, or hardened skeptic to stay there long enough and they i can assure you will uh it'll it'll it's sort of a questionnaire belief system and challenge it i think that if you'd have come out with this maybe 40 50 years ago then i think that yes you might have opened you up to some kind of ridicule or whatever but i've got to say that i think that people have a lot more of an open mind when it comes to these kind of things Possibly, these days yeah and not only that i mean we've had so many people on our shows now and plus we have loads of listeners so obviously the interest is out there and most of the people that are listening to these shows and stuff they're not the ones going oh no we don't believe it they're people that are yeah. actually genuinely interested in yeah what yeah. people have to say i can assure anyone i'm quite sincere about what i say and and i'm very truthful and uh, nobody could sort of like question my uh my, my honesty or anything like that. So. Yeah, well, as far as we're concerned, your integrity is definitely not in question. We had contact with you a little while ago when you initially sent us the story. We had a, a whole stack of shows already planned and booked and everything, but you got back in touch again recently and, and I thought, ah, oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, we we got we to gotta visit that. And I know that the guys from Spun, I spoke to Drew. I know you've had contact with Drew as well. I know that they were very interested in possibly finding out more about the property and, and yeah, seeing the if they can take problem. it further. Uh, the, the, the rival club is currently for sale. I think it's been bought now. But, but apparently somebody knows the present owner and, and maybe possibly have an investigation because prop- those properties need a serious and thorough investigation, I, I can assure you, just to prove what I'm saying is true. And and, and I, I mean, we're going to have to bring this to a close, but I think you're absolutely right because what we do need is a thorough, as you said, and, and professional investigation because there are too many organisations now that are going out for the entertainment value. Um, oh, if, it's sad. If the, it, it devalues everything. It does. It does. And, if, and if an investigation organisation actually goes out with the proper equipment, the proper tools, takes it seriously and comes back with some hard evidence, that's going to change this whole genre. And people like yourself who are putting themselves on the line and coming out and saying, I'm, I've opened myself up potentially to ridicule, that'll all stop. Because no one argues with the fact that the electricity causes a light to come on because that's been scientifically proven. But once there is scientific proof that this is all happening, there's going to be a lot of people wishing that they'd kept quiet rather so what, than, what, rather what, what than open themselves. What I'm telling you is another thing. It did convince a sceptic that we had with us, Mrs. Ivy France. And she put down to, oh, she looked around, I can remember her looking around, and she said, oh, it's vibrations from the traffic outside causing it, until it eventually happened in front of her. And then she was the one who suggested the medium, the priest, and even the press. And my grandmother sort of rebuked the press because she, she didn't want really kill and the attention. But I'm not attention-seeking. I just want to prove my point, because I've told people, and it was rumoured anyway, long before our family moved there, Edgar Mills started the rumour of it being haunted, and the Rafa Club, and 
and Gessie Gerf and Kanks are all connected, maybe, possibly. Mm. He was the one that lived there before you, right? Yeah, yeah. He did uh, live there yeah. long before us in the yeah. 50s. I, I know his son, Kevin, and it was him I queried who the old man might be, and, I, and he showed me a picture, and I have to show that picture to my mother to see if she recognizes it. That's mm. the only way, that's the only conclusion I can draw to that. So there we are. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you very much for spending your time with us today. We really appreciate it, and we loved hearing your story. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've been absolutely delighted. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it's been really good fun. And, you know, if anybody out there does have any more information about Gladstone Villa, the Rafa Club, it's now, what's it called, Park Hotel? It's called Res Park Hotel, but obviously it's, it's, clo- it's closed in 2014, but I know the present owner. If anybody out there does know the property and has had dealings with it, maybe you've worked in there over the last couple of years when yeah. it's been in its or various iterations. Or maybe you iterations. stayed in the hotel. Exactly. Get in touch with us because we would love to maybe help Andrew and the guys from Spun and Ruth, if she's going to get involved as well, to actually take this a little bit further and maybe find out a little bit more and, and maybe answer some of the questions that we've all got about this particular building. Okay. Lovely. Thank you again for your time, Andrew. Really appreciate you spending your time with us. Yeah, really good. Bye, brother. Bye, Shelley. Thank you. Oh, he's a nice chap, isn't he? Definitely. Seems very nice, very sincere. That's pretty scary to me. Although I think, because I always say, like, I would leave. Yeah. If, if, you know, but it doesn't seem like it necessarily didn't want them there. It almost seemed like things were just playing out. As if they weren't there. And like he said, whenever you think of a haunting, or whenever whenever I think of a haunting anyway, when someone says we're living with a ghost, you immediately refer to the the shows that you see on TV, the movies. Yeah. And your, you you know, paranormal activity, all those sorts of things where, you know, there's crazy off-the-wall stuff happening all the time. But as he said, a lot of the time, it was just, you know, making noises, things were banging, things were closing, things were dropping or whatever. And it wasn't directly targeted at people that's what i mean it was like it was playing out despite the fact that they were there yeah yeah i think it's interesting that we are trying to i wouldn't say prove or disprove we're trying to give people this forum to talk about things Mm. and yet we ask the questions almost with the expectation that things might be like the movies or the books or yeah you know, so it is refreshing to have somebody on who's saying, well, yeah, there was stuff that went on there and it was kind of weird and it was scary at times, but he didn't try to sensationalize no, anything. No, exactly. He exactly. was like, this is what happened. I don't care if you believe it or not. So that's cool. Yeah, no, I think he's very credible. So moving on then, we've now got Richard Lenny here with his UFO report and following him, author Ruth Roper-Wild, she will be here with her paranormal report. Take it away once again, guys. Welcome to the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful. And this is Richard Lenny speaking to you from somewhere on planet Earth. Well, it's an interesting month. And I'm going to start off with Captain Dave... Freehalf. Now, Captain Dave Freehalf is confirming Bob Lazar's story about Site 4, also known as S4. And I'll tell you the reason why this guy is confirming this. He was at Beale Air Force Base back in 1967, where he uh, first started piloting the uh, SR 71 Blackbird. 
and uh, so we had to have a special clearance for this which is the reason why later on uh, 1979 through 1985 it was easy for him to get a position at Area 51. So he started in 1979 going to Area 51. He gets on the Janet 737, which flies him out there with a lot of other guys. And um, he remembers seeing uh, Bob Lazar on the plane, but he also remembers when he gets off the plane with uh, with some other guys that Bob Lazar and a couple of others uh, would go into a different section and get onto a bus where they would go off in a completely different direction which was towards um, Site 4. So of course at the time he didn't know what he was doing but he remembers seeing him every day on the giant flight but also remembers him not going with him to Area 51, but getting on a bus and going off with a few other guys to what uh, later became known as S4. And also he says while he was at Area 51, he also knew a few guys there that knew Bob Lazar also. And um, yeah, so it was um, definitely confirmed that he worked at S4. Whether he saw flying saucers there, of course, um, he can't confirm that, but he can definitely confirm he was at Site 4, known as S4. So um, I thought that was quite interesting. So for any of you skeptics out there that think that uh, Bob Lazar never went to S4, oh yes, he did. On to the second one, which is uh, to do with the Delta Flight 1076 which is um, an A319 Airbus. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but apparently it had to make an emergency landing at JFK because it hit something mysteriously while it was in flight. Um, and when they got off the plane to check it over, they noticed their uh, front nose cone was caved in. Now this is a very interesting um, story because the paint was all chipped away and, and it was mottled around the edges, you know. Um, definite damage, of course their radar got damaged because that's where it's um, housed in the nose cone of the 737. Um, but it wasn't a bird strike as they first thought because there was no blood, there was no feathers, no entrails, nothing. Now with bird strike you normally get at least one of those three things. And I was speaking to a guy that actually used to work on aircraft and he saw quite a few bird strikes and um, he confirmed with me that this was definitely not a bird strike. And they changed their story. It was quite interesting because they first said it was a bird strike. And then they changed it a few hours later to say that it was um, hail or that the plane hit ice. But I found out doing a little bit of research that the weather was very good. In fact, there wasn't really any weather. So um, how can you... Um, account for the hail or ice if there was no weather. So now they're, they're not saying that it's a bird strike and they're not really saying it was hail either. They've changed the stories, I think, for a third time and um, they just don't know what it was. Well, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? I think it's pretty obvious that this um, A319 Airbus hit a sphere at around about uh, 25, 30,000 feet. And um, these spheres are up there all the time. I've been saying this mm, ever since 2011, 
yeah, ever since 2011, I've been saying this. And um, <clears throat> what are spheres, you are asking? Well, they are a metal ball. Um, they do vary difference in size, but they're mainly about the size of a, uh, size of a small 1960s mini, but in spherical form. So you can imagine the damage that these things can cause. And they're up there 24-7, 365. Now, I say there's different sizes. We have seen them smaller than this. Uh, and we have seen them up to the size of a small mini. But, um, and by the way, I think they're also responsible for our crop circles that we get in the UK and other parts of the world. Um, but um, I don't think there's anyone inside them. I think they're controlled by a, a higher power which is probably out in space, maybe even um, in one of these uh, deep space stations that John Wilson sees through his telescope. But definitely these things aren't um, Earth-based. And I'll tell you for why, because obviously I don't know for certain. I'm only I'm in assuming, like any astronomer or scientist or physician would, would, would do. I mean, because I can't say 100%, but I'm 90% certain that these things are off-world. And I'll tell you the reason why. And the reason I think this is because there's no way that we uh, would put our planes and the people on them in danger by flying these things so close. And when I mean close, I don't mean like a, a mile or two from the plane. I'm talking not even feet from the plane. I am talking inches from the plane. I've had many people that have been in a window seat and have got their phones out and videoed these things for me and then sent them to me when they've, you know, landed, coming back from Italy, coming back from France, coming back from America, going to Italy, going to France, going to Spain. These things are on the wingtips. These things are actually up by the window looking in. I mean, you couldn't get any closer. So imagine seeing that. Imagine seeing a 1960s mini in spherical form coming up to the window of your plane. I mean, would we do that? No, we would not. Now, these things are definitely off-world. And I'll tell you another reason. That's one of them. I'll tell you another reason why I don't think they're from Earth. And that's also because they're seen going into space and they're seen heading towards the moon. They've also been seen coming off the moon and coming towards Earth. Now, John Walston, I think it was about three years ago, he caught a double one coming out of the... Um, ionosphere and hitting space i called it a dumbbell because that's exactly what it looked like it looked just like a dumbbell um and it seemed to be connected together um somehow between like um a rod going between the two of them so it looked like a hand dumbbell and um it had all different colors on it and everything and it was pretty big and he actually tracked it going out of the earth's atmosphere and heading towards our moon so um yeah i don't think these things are earth-based at all Oh, and by the way, if you want to see them, um, you can see these things every single day, especially when um, the skies are clear. All you need to do is get an old camcorder off eBay, make sure it's got night shot function, make sure it's got a, um, a screw thread lens. That's very important. If it doesn't have a screw thread lens, do not buy it. And the reason for this is because you have to put a filter on the end of this camcorder and it has to be an infrared filter. So you screw that on the end. You go to night shot, even though you'll be shooting through the day. This gives you the night vision. This gives you the ability to see them because a lot of the time they're so high up. You need to see them and you need the clarity. And um, what you do is you put your zoom to infinity and then you pan the sky, 
pan the blue sky and within 30 seconds you will catch one of these things and just push the record button and then just record it and see what it does and I can guarantee you if you've got a plane going by while you're doing this it'll probably go up and it'll go into the contrail of the plane um, or chemtrail as some people like to call it it'll go in and out which is how you get this wispy look sometimes when you see the contrails go over and you think oh something's gone in and out of that well it's probably one of these spheres and just see what it does and then of course because you've got a camcorder and you can record it you can then show it to your friends your neighbors and you can say hey look these things exist Richard Lenny's right look look there's a sphere look and sometimes you may see two or three of them you may see more but you'll definitely see at least one so um that's my theory on that one and then uh, just to end this month's um information on ufos i've got an interesting um i'm going to leave links by the way for these as well um i've got an interesting uh story that um michael from mr mbb333 put out and as i say i'll leave a link for the video and you can see it i think it's six minutes and 40 seconds into the video okay so you go to 640 and then watch it now this is really amazing guys um i don't exactly know how he was filming this or what he was filming but it was at night time i believe i'm right in saying it was in um yeah san diego california okay so san diego uh california six minutes 40 seconds into the vt just watch it it's really weird he's videoing at night time and you can see like um in the distance of some sort of city or town then all of a sudden um you get this wave going across you know the sort of thing i mean like um you know on the back of a jet plane when the jets um powering up and you see the heat uh, signature well it was like that it was really strange like a ripple effect going through now i've seen this before i remember somebody videoed the moon um, it wasn't close up, so you weren't getting the ripple effect. It was, you know, quite far back, but it, it was still fairly close. And it was clear, it was steady. And then all of a sudden you saw this ripple effect go over the moon. I think it was about three or four times and then it stopped. And that was really weird. Well, this is basically the same thing again, but obviously he wasn't looking at the moon. He was just looking across at a, at a, a town or a city. He was quite high up, I think. Um, well, you, you'll see the video anyway. So I found that very interesting. <clears throat> so what does this mean and what is this ripple effect i mean could it be something to do with our sun you know could it be something to do with the solar flare maybe and um these cameras are picking it up but they said they didn't see it with the naked eye because he was with other people if i remember right yeah and and they were saying that you know they could see it through the camera but they couldn't see it with their eyes the camera obviously picked it up you see the camera picks things up that the eyes cannot see um in the digital form and of course especially if you've got these filters on the end as well and the infrared filters there's a lot of stuff going on guys and it's all hidden it's all hidden in the infrared spectrum so check that out anyway um and i think that's that's about it really um oh yeah one last thing i'll give you a link for this one as well in scotland edinburgh a guy caught a triangle craft or it looked like a triangle craft and it was going in and out of cloaking it was daytime there was blue sky there was clouds and all of a sudden you see this like thing in the sky that looked triangular in shape and then it would disappear and then it would come back and again you have that sort of almost like a, a like a ripple effect so there was something going on there as well so these two are very very similar to each other and i think the video um continues on after the other one so it's on the same it's on the same program uh, mr mbb333 so check them both out so it starts at 640 
watch the first one, then the other one will come after it and see what you think. Um, this just proves that these things do cloak and I have seen them as well. And they definitely go in and out, in and out, um, whether this particular craft was having a problem with its cloaking device or whether it knew it was being videoed and just wanted to show off. But either way, it's on video and we've got it and now we can show it to you. So that's it, guys. This is Rich Lenny for The Weird, Wacky, Wonderful, signing out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my segment on the paranormal. I'm sure most of you know me by now, but for anyone new, my name is Ruth Roper Wild, and I am an author who writes exclusively about the paranormal. You can find links to connect with me and my books in the show notes. I hope you're all keeping well in these strangest of times and finding ways to still get enjoyment and fulfilment in your life despite the various restrictions you might be living under now, wherever you are in the world. For me, it's made it slightly harder to scour the news and find the paranormal-related snippets to bring to you, because, of course, everything is so dominated by you-know-what. So please, if there's anything paranormal happening that you know of and you want me to include in this segment, you can always write to me at wa-1400 at outlook.com. I did manage to find a few interesting bits and pieces this month, so here goes. I found a short article on the Homes and Property site, which mentioned that one of famous pop singer Robbie Williams's many homes is possibly haunted. He, his wife Ada, and their four children divide their time between their homes in America and their lovely old mansion here in the UK in the county of Wiltshire. Robbie says the site dates by back at least a thousand years, and so it wouldn't be at all surprising if it had picked up a bit of paranormal activity. He told the interviewer that he'd always felt that one of the bedrooms in the property had a very spooky feel to it and that he didn't really like going in there. It's the bedroom which his eldest daughter occupied up until she was seven years old. Then one day she and her father were having a conversation about their various houses and he asked her whether she liked the Wiltshire house. She told him that she didn't like that house as much as the others because her bedroom was creepy and she didn't like being in there. Seeing as that was exactly how he felt about the room, he immediately moved her into a different bedroom and the spooky bedroom was then just left as a spare. It did make me wonder about people who are living with a part of a house which is uncomfortable due to some hard-to-define spooky feeling and of course not everyone is lucky enough to have enough rooms to just stay away from the bit which bothers them. How do you deal with that if you are living in such a situation now? Robbie also mentioned that on one occasion he went to the front door to greet his sister and for a second saw his dog Trixie bouncing up and down at her legs in excitement, just like she always did. The only difference was, Trixie had been dead for quite some time. Another snippet which might interest you to know is that Nottinghamshire's Haunted Museum in Mapley has not yet been able to reopen following the UK coronavirus lockdown. Although officially museums have now been given the green light to open, Haunted Museum have very sensibly made the decision that because the layout of their premises, with narrow corridors and tight spaces, would make any form of social distancing practically impossible, it would be safer for them to remain closed for the time being. They have, however, reopened their online streaming of cameras around the building, which means you can still do a virtual ghost hunt for yourself by watching on their social media. Apparently, some viewers have caught the image of a young boy on the cameras, and voices have been recorded even though the building is empty. You can visit their website or Facebook page to take part. It's also worth noting that they are still accepting haunted items or paranormal curios for display. On 12th of July, Derbyshire Live reported that an anonymous lady had taken a photograph up on the fourth floor corridor of the Royal Derby Hospital. She was an inpatient at the time, and of course, because of social distancing restrictions, 
there were very few people moving about in the hospital. As she walked down the fourth floor corridor, she was thinking to herself how very spooky it felt up there and took a photograph with her phone to put on her group chat with to her family to tell them that it felt horrible and she didn't like being there alone. When she looked at the picture, she could see that she'd captured what she thinks is a dark figure at the far end of the corridor when she was certain there was no one else there when she took the photo. To be honest, the photo is quite blurry for some reason, and that makes it hard, in my opinion, to make anything out on it. Have you ever experienced anything paranormal at that hospital? Another newspaper entry caught my eye, which had a particularly creepy photograph attached. This was from The Sun on the 1st of July, if you want to look it up for yourselves. The story came from Aylesbury, a medium-sized town in the south of the UK. New mother Charlie had just settled her baby Isaac down for a sleep, and since he'd been unwell for a day or two with a bit of chest infection, she was keeping a very close eye on him on the baby monitor. She's got the type of monitor which is a small camera, so you can actually see the baby as well as hear it. Isaac seemed to have settled quite quickly, which was a relief, but she glanced at the screen anyway as being a new mum she was feeling extra cautious. To her horror, she could see a pair of hands in the crib with her son, looking as if they were reaching towards his head. She says her first thought was that someone was in the room with him and was trying to snatch him, although she says that if she had stopped for a moment and thought about it logically, that couldn't have been the case as she knew her house was securely locked at the time. Terrified that someone was reaching for him, she ran into his room, only to find him sleeping peacefully and no one was there. She actually managed to take a camera shot of the monitor screen with the hands visible. It's not clear whether that meant the hands stayed in view on the screen even after she ran into the room, or whether she took the photo first and then ran to see him. To be honest, I'd be very sceptical if her first thought was, I'll just take a photo of that, before dashing to ensure her baby was safe, so I'm assuming the hands stayed visible long enough for her to get a shot. The picture itself is definitely creepy though. The baby is perfectly clear, sleeping quietly, and next to his head is what looks like a pair of older ladies' hands reaching towards him. You can even make out a wedding ring on the finger. The hands are not as clearly defined as the baby, looking slightly blurred or misty, whereas Isaac is clearly a solid being. In the article, Charlie says that her sister took the photo to show a psychic, and that person told them it was actually Charlie's grandmother, looking out for the baby and was nothing to be worried about. A few days earlier, on 29th of June, the Sun also posted a video with a shadow figure in it. This video is said to have been taken by a pregnant lady, who happened to be dog and cat sitting for a friend of hers. She was in bed in their house and you can clearly hear a cat meowing in the video. She was making a video of her own baby bump, trying to get a picture of the kicks the baby was giving to share with her friends. So the camera angle is one of somebody looking down at their own body. Because of the angle, the video is clearly making the foreground the focus object and the foreground in this case, of course, is the lady's tummy. The background is therefore darker and indistinct, but you can make out the end of the bed that she's lying on. And slowly, a dark figure raises up from the floor and peeks over the end of the bed, showing just its head and a little bit of neck area before sinking back down again. It definitely doesn't look like either the cat moving or the dog, which was apparently in the house at the time too. Have a look and see what you think. The last bit of news I could find was also from the UK. The rest of the news channels worldwide are only full of politics and COVID at the moment. So write to me if you have news from elsewhere to share. This snippet was from Cornwall Live on the 10th of July and featured husband and wife ghost hunting team Lee and Lindsay. 
They were using a very popular ghost hunting tool, often known as a random word generator. And from the clip, it looks like they were using the version which is available as an app you can download onto your mobile phone, rather than actual device. They were visiting one of the caves around Tintagel in Cornwall, believed to be where Merlin the wizard will have resided during his lifetime. They were trying to connect with the spirit of the famous wizard, but believe they might have connected with the spirit of a woman whom they felt could have been murdered in the caves. From the video clip, you can hear that in answer to their questions, the random word generator says, You are in, female, Sophie, include, and Raph. Now for me, the first three did seem to relate to what they were asking and might have indicated they were getting a response from a female spirit. But it seems a huge leap to go from those words to believing this is possibly the spirit of a murdered woman. I'm often quite dubious about these devices and also the spirit boxes which are used. Spirit boxes sweep the radio waves rapidly and are programmed so they don't latch onto an actual radio station. By doing this, they create a white noise effect and with both these and the random word generators, it's believed that spirit can manipulate the energy to produce the words they want to say. Now, to my mind, there's an awful lot of leaping to conclusions which go on with the random words spit out by these devices, and people forget that they're designed to spit out random words, and so therefore not every word is going to be a communication. I've been on a number of ghost hunts with groups and watched people try to attach meaning to every word, and to me that's not sensible given the fact that the devices are supposed to chuck out words. I do, however, remain on the fence about the subject, because once or twice I have seen some very interesting results with them. I was once on a ghost hunt at a particular location when one of these devices spat out the words in this exact sequence and using different voices, Old, Gresley, Hall, Old Gresley, Hall. We were ghost hunting in Old Gresley Hall in the UK at the time. Now that really intrigues me because I can't imagine why anyone would have programmed the word grizzly into one of those devices, nor can I imagine why any random radio host would have been saying it just as our device happened to sweep past their channel. What do you think? Have you ever had a really clear communication from one? And finally, just a snippet from my book, The Almanac of British Ghosts, on somewhere you might like to try and ghost hunt in the next few weeks. July the 27th is the anniversary of the Battle of Killiecrankie in Scotland, fought during the first Jacobite uprising on that day in 1689, between the Highlanders supporting King James I and King James II, and the Lowlanders and English troops supporting William of Orange. Although the Jacobites won that particular battle, they did so with heavy losses, including the death of their chieftain, Bonnie Dundee. Apparently on the anniversary each year, the sounds of the battle and of men screaming and groaning as they die can sometimes be still be heard on the wind. And at around seven o'clock in the evening, there is said to sometimes be a bloody red glow to the sky, making the ground look bloodstained again, just as it was all those years ago. If you do decide to go, please, please take a camera and a tape recorder with you and let me know how you got on. So until next time, happy ghost hunting. We've got to thank Richard and Ruth once again for their reports. As always, fantastic amount of information in there. They send us the links. They're going to be in the show notes for you. Make sure you have a look at those. Make sure you interact with them as well as us. Let them know you heard them on our show. Give them a little bit back for some of the work that they give us as well. It's absolutely amazing. Yep. 
They're definitely interesting as ever. And I can't wait to see what they got coming for us next month. Yeah, exactly. Don't forget, if you want to find out more about them or our show or any of the other topics that we cover, you can go to our website, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk. You can hit us up on our Facebook page. We are Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories Podcast on there. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You have no excuse whatsoever about not getting in touch with us. So please make sure that you do. Also, make sure that you stay safe. And above all, remember to stay weird, weird, wacky, wacky and and wonderful. wonderful. Bye.